Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole presents a space podity. In season one, we discussed all things Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. But here we are in season two, halfway through season two, and I don't know why you're picking up by having this be your first episode on this journey, because my goodness, we've covered some other things a little bit more fun than what we're going to be covering tonight. But yes, season two, we go through David Bowie's discography in random order by rolling the magical diamond dice. This is Mark Branstead, host and co-creator of this thing we call this thing. Welcome, my fellow uh, Podmonauts, but I'm always with my two cohorts in crime, my good friend, Stephen Earl. Hello there. I have a long scarf on and I'm eating a scone. Ah, yes. You look like someone from Doctor Who. Very good. And then it wouldn't be a Steve and Mark party without our good friend and scholar, Eric Monroe Anderson. Do I make you Randy, baby? <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, actually, oh, you bring boy. up a good point, Mark. I think there is a super fan out there that will, when we're all said and done with this season, we'll go and listen to the Bowie albums in chronological order, uh, not by release date, but by Diamond Dice number. And uh, there will be a very special prize for that sick, sick puppy that does that. Yes. And as always, Eric loves to uh, record in the separate room from the rest of us. Uh, just get up right up on that big black thing that you call a microphone there, Eric. Let the people hear you. Let them just feel the base of your voice. Um, so uh, here we that's are. Right. There sit, we are. Sit, sit on those speakers, baby. You're, I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it rumbly. You've made it. You've made him very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> he didn't just pull it out for air, my friends. Mark. <laughs> so, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're leaving that in. <laughs> so I hope you gentlemen are ready to take that rocket ship ride to 1967, because tonight we're going to talk about David Bowie's debut album. Not the one that had the Space Oddity song, but we're talking about the one that no one really ever took the time of day to listen to, and that was the self-titled 1967 album, David Bowie off the Derham Records uh, imprint. The last two episodes we discussed the triumphant low the episode before that we discussed the pretty great the idiot mm, mm. just artistic merit coming out the wazoo in those records and now we're going to talk about a bunch of austin powers music we're going to get into it um eric did you want to splash us a little bit do we have any history of 1967 do we have any updates on Nine Inch News, any Bowie bulletins, any fan that feeds, anything, any housekeeping before we really get into the nitty gritty of this thing? Not a lot. We haven't dropped the low episodes yet, but people online are starting to buzz about it, our listeners. So I think they're going to enjoy that. They're, they're, they're anticipating it, but they do not know this is coming. Um, so we don't have any, uh, any insights on uh, their favorite tracks off of this, this uh, abomination. Um, uh, I do have some information from 1967, but I don't know. Maybe I missed some Nine Inch News or or Bowie bulletins. Steve, well, uh, the only Nine Inch News is that we already talked about the the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing that hasn't even happened yet. So that's still that's old news now, and this is old news as well. But did either of you? And I think I know the answer. 
by that David Bowie graphic novel that finally came out by Mike Allred? I haven't heard of this one. Not yet. No. I I I want to read it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting on it, but it it looks beautiful. Yeah, it's a. It was announced a while ago. I think I talked about it on the show when it was announced, and it's a, it's a whole graphic novel. Just a, I believe it is called a Bowie Stardust Ray Guns and Moon Age Daydreams, and it's by Mike Allred and his wife Laura Allred. He's a writer artist, and she is a colorist. He did such comic books such as Madman was his uh, self titled creation, and uh, Ecstatics, and Many other books I'm not thinking of right now, but if you've seen his art, you'd recognize it. It's very pop art. And uh, I think he's perfect for David Bowie. And he released a graphic, they released a graphic novel that finally came out this month that I'm excited to check out. I don't know the exact sequencing of it, but it covers all of the different eras of David Bowie. And he manages from the preview artwork I've seen to adapt the art styles to really uh, convey the different phases of uh, David Bowie. So pick it up. I know. Nice. I know I will. Have the reviews been kind or oh, they've uh, been, they've been glowing. Yes. At your, at your, uh, the beat.com and your comic book resources.com and, uh, whatever comic website I can pull out of my ear. Yes. Nice. Excellent. And uh, yes, listener, dear listener, go ahead and find that somewhere at a record uh, comic shop near you. Yes. Um, all right. So that's out of the way. Uh, Eric, what was going on in 1967? Uh, oh, boy. Um, so our boy, our boys in blue, we're uh, heading overseas to uh, to Vietnam as uh, over there. That's right. Ground, there. Tro- <laughs> ground troops. <laughs> Your USO show, your USO uh, bit is great, Mark. I, you should, we should un- unveil the whole ten minutes of that to the audience at some point. <laughs> some of some of the songs on this album probably could have been adapted to some USO stuff that was going on at the time that fit right in. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Uh, oh man, ground forces were piling up, and then the protests were piling up back at home. Uh, uh, people were starting, uh, for the first time to really, uh, see the, the, the truth of the war and be angered by it. Um, and that's, this was a new thing for, uh, for war uh, stateside and, and elsewhere to have people against it. Um, some crazy stuff in the news this year. Uh, well, I mean, uh, let's, let's hold on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's always been people that were against the idea of war. I don't know. I mean, I'm not convinced that it's not a good thing, but go ahead. (laughs) Just, you know, this might be the first time that all the the long hairs got together and made some signs, but I'm sure that there's always been some people that thought killing each other over problems that we don't even understand wasn't a good idea. Oh, I know. But maybe Eric's right. Yes, I guess I, this is a a movement, like one of the, I, you know, it's at least the first notable movement. Uh, of it, maybe. All right. So yes, war. Good God, what is it good for, Eric? Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. All right. All right. So uh, a couple things. Um, we had our first African American uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice in uh, Thurgood Marshall here. Um, so you know, awesome. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was the president, and uh, you know, yeah, he had some good some good things and um, some not so good things. He was really good on civil rights and he was also a war hawk. 
And he really intensified things over there in Vietnam. And he uh, called his dick Jumbo. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> really? <laughs> that is correct. Uh, was that is that from that uh, that movie starring Walter White as LBJ? I've never watched it. I've never watched it either. Um, but uh, okay. that's that's pretty much every historian agrees on on that fact that he was hung like a horse. Uh, you see, if they would have named the movie Jump, if the movie was named Jumbo, we all would have watched it by now. <laughs> like all it, right, it's at the I am adding of, that to my notes. Just like at the end of Boogie Nights, where uh, you see Dirk's Diggler, um, it's kind of in that same vein. You know, he pulls it out and just puts it on the desk. <laughs> oh, that's great Vito that is a giant <laughs> cock <laughs> yeah oh, oh man uh, um, so there was a Supreme Court ruling six to three decision that state bans on interracial marriage were unconstitutional that was a it was a big exciting time for America with these civil, uh, civil rights um, movements so Good on, good on them. And they cured racism that year is what I understand. So we don't have to deal with that today. So that's kudos that's to them. That's why it's not an issue and not the government's job to get involved in it. Thanks, Mark. That's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is kind of fun. There was a, there was a law in the UK banning pirate radio, um, uh, which inspired a, 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 one of my mother's favorite films called Pirate Radio. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, he wasn't in that one, right? I, my oh, no, he, that, oh, he was. He was. He no, was. he was. He was. He was doing Did, kind of a tweak on his Lester Bangs kind of kind of persona that he, on, in, in that one, yeah. Okay, so he was Lester Bangs in um, Almost Famous, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Great film. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, so let's talk about some uh, music and uh, movies, yeah? Yes. All right. Here we go. Movies, popular films, The Dirty Dozen. That's a good one. Actually, I don't know if I've ever seen that one now that I'm thinking about it. That had, uh, I don't know. Who's well, in it? That, like, that Lee, Lee Marvin in it? And, yeah, I want to uh, say Lee Stewart. Marvin was in it. Yeah. I don't know if Clint Eastwood Clint was, Stewart. but I, I think Lee Marvin was. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson was in it, I think. Really? Maybe. I'm thinking you might be confusing uh, either uh, The Great Escape or Magnificent Seven. The Great Escape, also, by the way. Yeah, you're thinking of Magnificent Seven. I, I guarantee there's I guarantee there's some crossover between the cast, but you're thinking well, of Magnificent yeah. Seven, Eric. No, I'm not. But. Dirty Dozen, Lee Marvin, Telly Savalas, Charles Bronson, Erzner's Borgnine, Jim Brown. Shut up. I just looked it up. Oh, that's a Thank murderous you. row right there. Also, Thank you. Thank once you. Upon a time in also, all right. Well, some of these. <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood where it had Rick Some of Dalton. these people are. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <coughs> there is crossover there at the Magnificent Seven, but that's fine. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Dirty Dozen. Dirty Dozen's the, the it, it's a WW2. Yeah, it's a bunch I, I of like so. unforgivable, unforgivable, unforgivable soldiers that have been like court-martialed. And then they, they get like one last chance at redemption kind of thing. Kind of like uh, the Glorious Bastards. Kind of. Go ahead. Uh, you, you know, we've got two Bond movies. We got an official Bond movie, You Only Live Twice. And then we got a goofball, like, made-for-TV Bond movie in Casino Royale. I've never seen that original Casino oh, Royale. Have you guys seen it? Me neither. I think Woody Allen's in that one. Oh, you know what? You're right. Now that I think about it, there's actually three Casino Royales. There was, like, a black-and-white made-for-TV one. That's the one I'm thinking of. And then you've got this oh, goofball okay. comedy comedy version with Woody Allen. 
You're absolutely right. That's what this one was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Um, and the other movies, uh, like Barefoot in the Park, I've never even heard of before. Have you watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Guess Who? It's uh, a good one. I have not. It's have got not. Sydney Poitier, uh, Catherine Hepburn, and, uh, the guy that she was with. And for whatever reason, I'm blanking on it, and those who are listening are probably screaming at me right now. Um, Spencer Tracy Spencer Tracy everyone Spencer Tracy that's a good one that's a good movie guess who's guess who's coming to dinner (laughs) is that like you guys remember you guys remember that you guys remember that when Chekhov said that Chekhov said that in Star Trek 6 (laughs) that's right Uh, always with the pop culture references that Chekhov Oh yeah, yeah. He 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 was he was up on his historical TV. Speaking of historical TV, uh, a show that that I was informed about because of a Iron Maiden documentary that Steve made me watch, where Bruce Dickinson <laughs> chases a floating white balloon through the air. The Prisoner. Yes, there's a whole. Oh yeah, did that get remade? No, I don't think we ever remade The Prisoner, but there's a whole section. It did. It, they did. They they remade the prisoner like uh like okay. in the last ten years, I think. But yes, I thought they did yeah. with Jim Caviezel yeah, or something. Right. You're right. You're correct, Mark. Yeah, but there's yeah. there there's the Iron Maiden song about the prisoner, and yeah, there's this section of that DVD where they have Bruce Dickinson running around the set, and he he looks right at the camera and he goes, "I am I am not a number," and it does a it does a Kubrick zoom in from like Eyes Wide Shut. I am a free man. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we had we oh, had fun yeah. with that. We had fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, big shows at this time. We had a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Uh, you had uh, the Lucy show, of course. Doctor uh, Who. How do we feel about I Love Lucy? I'll, I'll go ahead. I I enjoy that television show. I love Lucy's great. Um, I never watched any of her, like when she came color, the Lucy show, which that, I don't know what year that came, maybe later in the seventies, but I love Lucy's uh, is great. I mean, just, no, that, the Lucy show, that's the one you're talking about. The colored one. That's the one from this year. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, I love Lucy. All timer. Yeah. They got, a, they got a lot of mile, mileage out of the, the four leads uh, on that show. It's a pretty, pretty timeless comedy. Hot takes from Steve tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I am a doctor. I am a Doctor Who fan. I'm not caught up. I'm years behind. Um, but I did watch the everything from the 2005 reboot up until I don't know two Doctors ago, and uh, loved it very much. And then I went back and watched some of the weird, slow black and white stuff from this era, including the uh, the the Doctor that looks like Bob Dylan with the long scarf, and and uh, it's really good late night. Late night watching. It's very slow, very low budget, but uh, is this but smart? Is this Tom Baker? Uh, ah, you got it. There he is. In yes. other sci-fi news, did you guys happen to see all of the uh, concept art that leaked for uh, Colin Trevorrow's Duel of the Fates? Um, that could have been Episode Nine. Have you seen I any of that? I have not artwork? seen the artwork, but I have read the synopsis of the movie. I don't know if it sounds much much better, but it's yeah, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I again, I'm uh, I have got no problem with Rise of Skywalker. I also admit that it's a mess of a movie, but it's a just a hell of a ride. 
Um, but that duel of fates, uh, that, that was certainly going in a different direction. Looking, looking back, um, some of the artwork, look, looking fun. back at it all now, we were all happy kind of when he got kicked off because I guess, uh, what was that movie he made that was so bad? Ooh. It was just the worst. Yes. The, the book, book of Henry. Henry. Um, but then when you think about it, these goddamn star Wars movies are so made by committee. You could have still had him direct it and it would have turned out pretty damn similar to whatever, not to what we got. But it wouldn't have just been left up to him. Sure. So, you know, it might have been right. it might have been a weird stew that also was a lot of fun. But ah, what are you going to do? But that's a great title. Yeah. It's the name yeah. of the music from the uh, Phantom Menace. It's awesome when they uh, have the the saber fight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. With Darth Maul. I didn't. I didn't read it. Yeah. And part of it's it was just like I, I was. I was annoyed because the the article where I saw it drop was like an AV club thing. And it was like the original script for blah, blah, blahs, you know, episode nine has leaked and it's so much better. And I'm like, Oh, well that's a biased uh, headline. I'm not even going to read that. And uh, uh, we'll have to catch up off air sometime. You guys can fill me in on the differences. Sure. Uh, okay, Eric, uh, continue. Yes. Oh, and sorry, I'm almost done here, but the original Star Trek was dropping around this time. I don't remember exactly Hell what year, yeah. but it was, it was still on uh, in 67 here. Um, of course, we're all fans. I'm doing my next-gen rewatch as we Chekhov, speak. Chekhov was not in season one, though. It was uh, Janus, Yo the Yeoman Janus. Yeoman <laughs> Janus. Sulu, like, that's the thing. Did either of you watch? <laughs> See, the thing... Oh, hold on, real fast. Uh, I, I will say my problem with the original series is that it's not a cohesive group like the Next Generation and uh, Deep Space Nine. It's just like all of a sudden Sulu disappears. Pretty much your only constants are Kirk, Bones, and Spock. And every now and then you'd get Scotty, but uh, Sulu and uh, Uhura, they're they're spotty in terms of their appearances. And then Chekhov what? doesn't show up until season two. Now I, I've watched a little bit of it, but it's been so long. Is there is there friendship pretty established in the show, or is that more of a movie I think thing? It's, oh, they're established yeah, no, in the show. It, it's oh, yeah. there. Okay. They don't. The three okay. of them. They don't. They don't out, outright talk about how close they are, like they do in the movies. But it's it's definitely there. There's a there's a camaraderie there. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, and I mean, uh, but go ahead, Steve. A couple things. One is, say? I mean, well, I mean, back then, yeah. Unless it was soap operas, you're not going to get a lot of uh, consistency in a lot of TV shows. But, you know, what are you going to do? Right. And right. Um, that's true. Also, I'm just curious. Did, did either of you? I haven't seen it yet. Did either of you watch Picard? No, I was thinking about signing up for the seven day trial. Uh, maybe when it's all said and done and then just shotgun all of them in seven days. That's my plan. <laughs> that is my plan, sir, as well. I'm going to do the exact same thing. Yeah. I, I, I think I already burned through that, but it, I have too many streaming service. I, I can't do it. Yeah. I have to, I have to do it like that. It's, it's only $6. So I'll, I'll probably pay the $6 uh, midway through and uh, then, then I'll be set. Yeah. But yes, I haven't started. Because I do want to check in on uh, Star Trek Discovery. Um, I've heard mixed things. I've heard it's better than Enterprise, but I've also heard it's uh, a travesty. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I wouldn't call it a travesty. I watched the first season. Maybe the second season, it goes really bad. But I like the first season. I thought it was pretty good. Um, nice. It gets pretty. It gets into a groove about like a quarter way through the season. 
And then uh, they get some really cool, like, little one-off episodes. Rain Wilson plays an awesome, like, rogue-type character that shows up a few times. Then, Wait, uh, Rain Wilson plays uh, Mud, Henry Mud, right. Harry oh, Mud. I got yeah, disappointed there, Eric. Yeah. When you said a rogue-type character, I thought you meant he was playing a, a Southern Belle mutant from the South. <laughs> <laughs> y'all can't touch me or I'll kill y'all. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I've heard I've heard the second season's better, uh, but I yeah I've only watched a few episodes. It wasn't from the first season. It was it was fine. It takes even when I really like things yeah. now, it takes a lot of patience for me to sit down and actually watch things. So, yeah, yeah, I'm caught up on the I good place. You. There you go. Okay, Eric. Yeah, we're almost done here. Popular music of this time. Let's set the stage. For our ears, as we're about to jump into this album, Rolling Stones, shredding it this year. Absolutely, top of the list, shredding it. Uh, you got some Motown sounds of the Supremes going on. Um, well, well, hold on, hold on. What what Rolling Stones albums came out? I don't know, you tell me. You guys are the experts. I just got a list here of top musicians. I don't have albums. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Oh, wow. Wow, look at that. Look at that. I don't want to... 67, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Some girls. <laughs> really, uh... No, not some girls. <laughs> God damn it. That would not have come out in 67. No, I'm kidding. A little, uh... Jokes. Here, hold on. Jokes. Um, Between the buttons and the Satanic Majesty's request. Between the buttons... I don't even think I've ever listened to that album. Go. Between the Buttons, I think that one had... Uh, did that one have Paint It Black on there? No. It, uh, Yesterday's Papers, Backstreet Girl, Miss mm. Amanda Jones. The U- now, this is interesting. The UK edition had all these songs on it, but then the American one had Ruby Tuesday on it. There's Something's going on here. Ruby Tuesday is definitely originally on a different record. So yeah, the Supremes were still going strong. Motown was still going to have a heyday for about another 10 years. Um, the Beatles dropped something that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, importantly, on the same day as the album we're going to talk about today. And we'll get to that. It was very, it was very much a, a 30 Rock uh, uh, Studio 60 uh, <laughs> uh Studio 54, yeah, live. No, Studio no, no, no. 60, uh, whatever. No, it was very, like, these two albums come out at the same time are two albums that are both yes. rock albums. It's an Armageddon deep in situation. There you go, situation. yes. <laughs> yeah. And one, fa- one, one, one rose and one did not. Bob Dylan dropped a, a kind of a pretty good little little album, John Wesley Harding, uh, this, uh, this year. Uh, then we had some, like, The Monkees, Grateful Dead. Um, Cream, these were all dropping uh, during this time. Guys, that's 1967. That got a little rambling there, but uh, I think we've painted the picture of where pop culture was, and and Bowie was just ready to drop a bomb on the world with his uh, self-titled and Darum releases. A bomb indeed. A bomb indeed. (laughs) But hold on. Might I counterpoint? We are not done talking about the year 1960. Oh God, I hear a little something in the background. You do. You hear the sound of the gridiron. You hear the sound of the crack of the bat. You hear the sound of the leather on the hardwood. 
you hear the sound of sports. And tonight, in the year 1967 in sports, you had the St. Louis Cardinals beating the Red Sox in the World Series. Also of note, the Kansas City Athletics became the Oakland A's. That was the last year that the Kansas City A's were the Kansas City A's. They changed by 1968. There you go. In basketball, the Philadelphia 76ers beat the San Francisco Warriors in the finals. Yes, back then they were the San Francisco Warriors. And they went over to Oakland, became the Golden State Warriors. Now they moved back to San Francisco, but they're still called the Golden State Warriors. So uh, bully for them, I say. And over in American football, the first, the first Super Bowl was played. This was a Super Bowl where at the halftime show there was a man in a jetpack. I suggest everyone look it up. The Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Very interesting, these two teams we are bringing up right now. Because the San Francisco 49ers of 2020 defeated the Green Bay Packers just last week to proceed from the playoffs to the Super Bowl where they will take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Next Sunday in Miami, whatever number Super Bowl it is, the 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Go Niners. <laughs> oh, man. I hope Joe Montana's old team wins. Good one, Mark. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> You're the first person to make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> you see eric he played for both teams uh oh oh shit i i just know him from the, yeah. the niners he was course. just laughing he was, uh, my dad he just, my know? dad told me if i wanted to be a man i'd model myself after joe montana when i was a young boy in the and 80s. he was you didn't listen to him but he was right <laughs> yeah, it's true <laughs> joe montana's great i mean that's uh, anybody that says differently is uh no friend of mine but anyhow I mean, I, I could talk about the 49ers for the rest of the night and uh, it would be a much better discussion than what we're going to have to talk about, which is David Bowie's debut record, David Bowie. And this album, there's a couple of other things that back in these days he was releasing. He was releasing singles here and there. We're not, we, you know, there's not enough side on the, on the dice to spin all these things. So we're cramming them all into this episode. Uh, what, we, what we, we gathered all these songs from, was they're all captured on the Duram anthology, which was released in, uh, when was that damn thing released? I think it was like released when we worked at the record store. Uh, nope. That's a lie. Yeah, it I came out so. in 1997. So it, uh, it collects the entire David Bowie album and a bunch of other singles. What we'll do is we will talk about the David Bowie debut album. And then those singles from the year 1967. You know, it's funny. I, I thought I was listening to the same. I mean, I'd listened to the, the self-titled album all the way through and took my notes. And then I know on vinyl, um, for some reason, my wife has what I thought was the Duram anthology on vinyl, but what it's called is Images, 1966 to 1967 on London Records. And it's got 
most of those songs, but not all of them, as we'll find out. Um, in a really weird order, it's got an essay by Henry Edwards, whoever that is, and um, it's got this cartoon art all over it. And uh, I don't know why my wife has it. She has much less patience for this stuff than even I do. But anyway, it's <laughs> it's there. I listened to, I, you know, that that's what I listened to some of these uh, these uh, single tracks on um, that weren't on the uh, David Bowie proper. Um, but so anyways, that's Images, and uh, it doesn't even have all of them on it, but yeah. Did you guys, I've owned the Duram anthology for probably 20 years. Uh, just because for the completest factor. Got to catch them all. Yeah. Got to catch them all. But mm -hmm. I don't, I might've listened to it all the way through once until we had to do it for this. Are you guys familiar with any of this stuff? Were you fans mm -hmm. before? Only at all? The I laughing, it. Only the laughing gnome. You played it for me when we lived together. Back in like 2002, 2003, we got drunk. We listened to this song. You should, like, you got to hear this. You played the laughing gnome. We rolled across the floor laughing. And uh, like Rightfully a couple so. of gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that's, uh, this is my first foray. Four, four spoilers. That's, spoilers. That's the highlight of, of this thing. But yes. Uh, right. And then Mark, you were saying, yeah, just the yes. got them, catch them all factor, right? Got to catch them all. So I had it as well, but I don't think I ever listened to it all the way through uh, before actually in preparation for this, uh, this uh, episode. So yeah, no, I clearly wasn't a fan. The Laughing Gnome <laughs> is certainly a good giggle fest, especially if you're under the influence. Um, I remember it reminded me of the days when I would get in front of uh, the computer screen and I'd uh, queue up hamsterdance.com <laughs> and I would just be rolling my ass off with laughter. Yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll cover so, we'll yeah. cover the laughing gnome a bit more later tonight. But yeah, Dave Bowie. I mean, he he was started doing music at the age of fifteen, and this is by no means comprehensive. But the chronologically, as I see it, is his first band that he had was called the Conrads with a K. And uh, that was back in 1962. He did that playing with, you know, uh, at the local it, it, wherever you can play some music. If you're a kid's band, you know, uh, 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 local birthday parties or, you know, at the uh, yeah, the Veterans Hall. You know, that's what that's what they did. And uh, at, after that band, he joined he went and did. Uh, I like the name of this band. The King Bees was his next band. And uh, they tried to do, they tried to become like a, a Beatles type thing. The early Beatles. Uh, doesn't sound like the King Bees worked out because David Bowie did not stay in a band for years that was similar to the Beatles. And uh, the next band after the King Bees was <laughs> the, uh, the, the Manish Boys. And they were a bit, bit bluer, blue, bluesier, the Manish Boys. Uh, that's a fantastic name for a band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the the, man, the the Manish Boys didn't didn't last long either. I think we're gonna co-op um, that. Just the three of us, you know that, right? <laughs> that, yeah, we're changing <laughs> we're changing the name of the podcast to the Manish Boys. And uh, after the Manish Boys, he joined a band called the Lower Third. Which, I, I like that, for whatever reason, that name actually too. Like, yeah, the lower th that sounds kind of British to me. Um, did, did he play the sax in the lower third? I felt like he did. I am not aware of what he was playing, but uh, whatever he was doing, he was part of the lower third. 
and they didn't uh, get much further than any of these other acts. And uh, that was <laughs> that was it. Nope, uh, until nope, he joined. Nope. Nope. nope okay, no, I'm not done. Sorry. Sorry. Not done. Oh, okay. My bad. The next. The next. Yeah. The lower third <laughs> lasted until he left to join another band called the Buzz. And uh, after I like the to, buzz, I, I like to think it was like a couple of the fallouts from the King Bees. They followed, followed it up right. with the Buzz. Yeah. And he uh, after the Buzz or alongside the Buzz, he also was in a band called the Riot Squad. So we're like on our sixth or seventh band by now. And it's around this time that he decided to change his name to David Bowie. As we all know, he did this because Davy Jones, which is his real name, was the same name as the guy in the monkeys. So after the Bowie knife, he changed his name and released the laughing gnome. That was his first in 1967. Single? Uh, and his, holy yes. smokes. Can I, and uh, his, uh, can I, can I interject a little other, a couple other projects that you uh, you missed? You found you found more, huh? Not not so much bands. You were spot on with the bands, but okay, yeah, um, no, he was doing it. He did a. Yeah. He was all over the place, man. You, it was hard to keep track yeah. of this shit. So yeah, what what else? Yeah, you got there? yeah. So he was so the, in this Henry Edwards essay that's in this vinyl I was listening to tonight, uh, the Images vinyl. He talks about around this time T-Rex was starting as Tyrannosaurus Rex and he was a mime for them at live shows. Um, and he was really, he, so he was, was also, so it, 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 he was, he was essentially that era's flavor Flav. <laughs> exactly. Or, yes. or he was the dancing guy from the mighty, mighty Boston's or yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Or he was, a uh, you know, he was one of the fly girls from, uh, in living color. Exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, he was trying to decide, like, was I going to do music? Was I going to do stage? Was I going to do like a combo of both? And he did start his troupe, uh, his mime troupe. It was like a multimedia mime show called Feathers, um, which would last actually through Space Oddity. Um, but that was happening around this time as well. Wow. That sure is fantastic. Boy, he he was all over the place trying to find himself trying to find a home and didn't really know who he was. And this first album he put out, if that was who he was at the time, I'm sure glad he decided to become something different. So without further ado, let's talk about the very average David Bowie self-titled albums and the songs that surround it. It was, uh, it came out as Eric said, the same day as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. And the reviews of this album were not nearly as glowing. As a matter of fact, <laughs> it's hard to find many of them. But if you do, they all seem to be about as bored with it as we are, saying that it's, uh, yes, some kind of London lad here doing these attempts at show tunes or something. We don't know. It's not that good. <laughs> but believe me, folks, that's what the uh, all the reviews said. Oh, God. Imagine being Bowie, who's like all about just mind-expanding music, and he... <laughs> He listens to his album and he listens to Sergeant Peppers. He's like, oh, fuck. That's a misstep. <laughs> yeah. It's uh yeah, if you if you if you go to the record store, I mean, imagine going to the record store and you've only got the money for one album and you picked this one up instead of Sergeant Sergeant Peppers. I mean, that's like uh that's like when I went to the I went to the movies in uh high school and it was the Auburn State Theater. And there was two choices. They were Braveheart 
or Major <laughs> Pain. And I went and saw Major Pain. This album is the the major pain to Sgt. Pepper's Bravehearts. The album didn't do good at all. And uh, it basically did so bad that Duram Records didn't give him another record to do. So there you go. Bombed him out of the studio. Bombardeered him out of the studio. You guys want to, you guys want to hear, you guys want to hear a fun fact about Durham Records? Duram Records? If you switch two yeah. letters around, it says Dream Records. Yes. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> good, good fact, man. I, I never thought I'd, I mean, that's like putting the yarn together. That's some Alex Jones well, stuff. It's not, that's not that's not as important as what I discovered on the internet today, which I wish I was smart enough to find. But if you rearrange the letters in Marissa Tomei's name, it actually spells "It's a me, Mario." <laughs> oh. oh, that's fantastic! Oh. All right, track one. All right. Well, I think we should just jump into this one. Track one. Let's listen to a little bit of Uncle Arthur. Here it is. Strikes the bell for five o'clock Uncle Arthur closes shop Screws the tops on all the bottles Turns the lights out, locks it up Climbs across his bike and he's away Cycles past the gasworks, past the river Down the high street, back to mother It's another empty day Uncle Arthur likes his mummy. Uncle Arthur still reads comics. Uncle Arthur follows Batman. Round and round the rumors fly. How he ran away from mum on his 32nd birthday. So that was Uncle Arthur. Uh, this song so is a lot, just wacky as shit. Go ahead, Eric, Steve. What do you, what do you it, got for uh, me? A lot of, yeah, also a lot of, right off, a lot of this music, I don't know what exactly to call it. It's not, it's not rock music. And it's not exactly folk music. It kind of has some like staged theatrical qualities to it, or I, I, I don't know. Uh, some people compared this, his he said he was influenced by this guy named Anthony Newley, who was kind of like an actor, lounge singer, British fellow who did some borderline show, show tunes. And right out, I, you get that vibe from Uncle Arthur. It's, uh, it's upbeat it's got a it's got some kind of horn section it's got snaps and claps and it it it, it starts to describe some london Im- imagery it's very london and it's just not very exciting well eric I, what do you think about uncle arthur i mean i'll tell you this much i'll give it this much i'll tell you what david bowie always had a a taste of the fantastical he loved art. He loved probably comic books and whatnot. I know he did actually. And he says that uncle Arthur still reads comics at the age of 32. Uncle Arthur loves Batman. I'll give the song that much. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. It's like the comic book guy in uh, song form uh, many years, many years before. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, a couple songs out here. The songs aren't great, but he's trying to tell a story about a character that anybody you pass by on the street can have like a crazy, interesting story. Like that's kind of his, his take. People have done it better. I would say Tom Waits did it better. Like on a, every, every 
you know, every time he put pencil to paper. But um, yeah, it's definitely something he was trying to do. Um, the hooks, the hooks definitely um, are catchy. Uh, you could hear maybe they're definitely written to be a sing-along um the verses and i will say this a lot when he's starting to tell the stories he just gets he just vomits out lyrics at times where it's not even there's melody be damned um rhythm be damned he's just trying to get his story out and um it's kind of annoying um so i will say that, that parts of the song it does get very annoying yeah um, uh, yeah but, you're uh, right no he, he really just like gets ahead of himself and just starts yeah, no matter what the music's doing, he just keeps just just talking and singing, and it's it does not sync up with the with the music at all. It happens a lot. I don't really know yeah. what to make of this yeah. song. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, you talked about what was the guy Newsley? Newley, I think. Uh, yeah, Anthony, right? Anthony, Newley. Anthony Newley. Newley. So yeah, he was he was a he did some crazy, like he did a lot of cinem cinematic stuff. Like he did the uh, theme to um, Goldfinger or at least wrote it. Um, and he, yeah, he would, he did a lot of stuff with movies and I could see why Bowie was maybe fascinated by him. He was a storyteller, but also like was a multimedia performer. Essentially he was writing stuff to be paired with visuals. That's been Bowie's kind of thing, right? Sound and vision. Um, so I can see, I can see his fascination with this guy. Um, and. Uh, uh, I think right off the bat, you get a story. You can picture the images in your head while he's singing it. Sure. The song itself though, doesn't stand on its own two legs. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you actually catch it, but the song describes uncle Arthur, who's, uh, kind of seemed to be in some kind of form of arrested development. He ends up getting married. And then even though he's married, he keeps like going back to his mom somehow. I don't know. It's it's Buster Bluth in song form. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of started the trope, but maybe of of the uh, the comic book, the the <laughs> yeah, the middle aged comic book fan that uh, lives with his parents. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the way it starts off with the <laughs> what instrumentation is that? What, Eric, do you have any idea what instrument that is? It might. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Um, I mean, the music in this, like, there's. I don't get. A, I mean, if there was much in the way of other musicians, I don't know. I mean, Bowie's doing a lot of it, um, and then he has two. Well, actually, that's, guys let's, you know, let's get for this record. I don't know about all his other singles, yeah. but for this record, you got Bowie on vocals, guitar, saxophone. Um, a gentleman named Big Jim Sullivan on banjo, sitar, and guitar. Derek mm -hmm. Boys on organ, Dick Fernley on bass guitar, and John Eager on drums. Uh, produced by Mike Vernon, engineered by Gus Dudgeon. So none of our usual suspects are on this thing. Thank goodness. Right. Gus did work on the next one, though. But yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Not even a synth wizard, to, to, uh, as far as the eye can see. It's too bad. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I don't have much more nope. to add uh, on what you guys have already covered on this, Uncle Arthur. It's not for me. Um, certainly, it's a kind of childish song. I mean, if anything, uh, as I'm going through a Pink Floyd uh, renaissance as well, it does try to be a little bit like a Sid Barrett type song, but um, 
I think it's trying too hard in the sense of, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's no really psychedelic things going on here. And it, the songwriting, I think, is pretty crude. And I don't know really what he's trying to accomplish with this song. It, it it really could sound like it's a song on a child's record, like a children's record. I, I do like you know? that you You're in, yeah, uh, I do like that you brought up Sid Barrett because there's a pretty good quote by Sid Barrett on the later track that I'll that I'll, that I'll reference. Gotcha. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's and, Uncle Arthur. And, and, yeah, children's music, that's what a lot of this sounds like. Yeah. Which there is a place for when done right. You bet. Um so let's hear so a track bit of, two. Yes. Is Sell Me a Coat. Took her hand and left me Jack Frost ain't so cool Sell me a coat with buttons of silver Sell me a coat that's red or gold Sell me a coat with little patch pockets Sell me a coat cause I feel cold Sell me a coat the most interesting thing about Sell Me a Coat is that they uh, re-released it later in uh, the song Lovely You Till Tuesday. They actually made a, uh, a short film out of. And on it was uh, Hermione Farthingdale. And uh, who was that, Eric? The name sounds familiar to me. Well, he wrote letter to Hermione in the next in Space Oddity, the album. It was his girlfriend for, for a while. She was in Feathers with him. Yeah, Hermione Farthingdale. I love that name. I tell you what, though, I don't love this song. And when I first listened to this record for the podcast, one sell me a coat deep, and I was already getting angry we had to listen to this album. So I, uh, not a fan. Tell me all about it, Eric. What do you think? Sell me a coat. It's uh, just it's just uh, his twelve string guitar. He's strumming it, and um, he's singing. this one doesn't offend me as some of the other songs on here because he's he doesn't sound annoying on this song. He's actually his delivery is pretty subtle. It's fine. I mean, it's a it's a it's essentially a uh, you know it's it's basically uh, he's comparing winter to his own heartbreak and despair. Um, it's a very just a just a very basic breakup song. Um, uh, but it, I mean, I don't know at the time, maybe it could have been a hit. I, I, I have no idea. It wasn't marketed as, as such. Um, this one doesn't annoy me, but, um, that's only because it's almost so subtle that I don't even notice it. I'm not a fan of this song either. Um, it reminds me of something that you would see in Harold and Maude. Um, uh, it's not a bad movie by any sense, but it's just one of those little cloyingly annoying songs that is oh, just all I, about i think the word you're looking for is yeah. twee twee it's twee it's absolutely twee i the song is essentially corduroy the song uh but not that great <laughs> song by pearl jam it is just not a great yeah i'm i'm not digging it so so far there, is there's a bella there's a bell and sebastian covers album that's just waiting to do this song yes yes two Two things. One, that line, Jack Frost took her hand and left me. Jack Frost ain't so cool. Is uh, ridiculous. Two, did you guys listen to that new Pearl Jam song? No, is it good? No, it's really good. Yeah. Nice. The old PJ back at it again. Bill Simmons was probably happy. 
I haven't listened to a Pearl Jam song since since twelve or what? What was the what was the one after Verses? Yeah, that was the last. Vitology. Uh, there you go, Vitology. That was I haven't heard a Pearl Jam song since then. Oh man, they got a lot. They got a lot of good stuff. It's a. It might be daunting by now. It's a big catalog, but they got a lot of good stuff. But this, I, I'm sure that I, I respect them. I just this song kind of sounds like they took a page from that. Uh, you know how um, we don't talk about this band much. I do like them. Um, Sleater Kenny had St. Vincent produce their last album, and it kind of had a little bit of an electronic touch to it. Um, not as not as drastic as what they did there, but it does have a little bit of a interesting pulse to it uh i think it's a cool song check it out i don't remember the name of it just uh whatever whatever song pearl jam put out this week because it just came out that's the one so yes and uh i tell you what whatever song pearl jam put out anytime is going to be better than rubber band which is the next track on this album there's a rubber band that plays tunes out of tune in the library garden sunday afternoon while a little chappy waves a golden wand Rubber band In 1910 I was so handsome and so strong My moustache was stiffly waxed and one foot long And I loved a girl while you played tea time tunes Dear Rubberband Alright, so that was Rubber Band, uh, otherwise known as The Elephant Walk. Um, it's... You got some tubas. <laughs> I was really just driving the song. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Or the uh, or the uh, or the opening <laughs> to a Muppets Christmas Carol. I mean, this song is just goofy. Uh, just it's Doctor Demento. This- it's just ridiculous. <laughs> so tell me. So he's talking to. So yeah, it has. I'll give it this much. After the uh, the curb your enthusiasms stop there during the verses. <laughs> I mean, doing the verses, there's a sense of kind of like an urgency to where he's like singing about. And I don't, I don't actually understand where the urgency comes from about the rubber band. He's he's like, no. you know, the rubber band that plays in the park every day. There they go again. They're playing their songs. The way he delivers that section of the song is uh, fairly entertaining. But the whole premise of the song is ridiculous. And despite how passionate he might sound about the rubber band, I just can't get into it. It's nonsense. Oh, oh this is a, this is a top three song for me. Are on you this kidding album. me? I don't even have a, <laughs> I don't have a top two. Yeah, no, no. It, it's a, it's, it's a low, no, it's a low bar. I love me <laughs> some two, some big tuba, big old brass. I love me. You know, you guys oh, know, I know. I love some big old brass. Um, Oh yeah. And this one pairs it with some like staccato beats. Uh, so I get into the, I I get into the background music lyrically dumb as hell, dumb as hell. My rubber band plays everything out of tune. I mean, what are you talking about? What what the hell are you talking about, Dave? But, uh, well, anyways, I'll give, I'll give it this much. The, the, the way that, you know, I, I didn't read through a description of this, this song that said the lyrics were actually talking about a war veteran who had like a girlfriend and he, she was stolen away by the rubber band, but I don't reading the lyrics myself. I don't get that. So I don't know where that comes from. And, uh, I, I don't, maybe that's why he sounds so exasperated during the rubber band, uh, choruses. 
it's ah. it, I I don't know. Sure. It's still not not good. It's uh better than the last two songs, maybe. Well, what's that saying? Yeah, right. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm still like oh for three. I mean, uh, no, we're gonna need something here. So yeah, let's check in yeah. to see what. Dip, well, I mean, uh, if you would, but if you do, actually, there, there's a lot of this stuff pops up, and you know, he was part of that 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 uh, artistic group back then, and some of this stuff was incorporated in visuals. And if you do look up uh, the Love You to Love You Till Tuesday film, which I did not watch because I only have so much time in my life, and I had to dedicate it to listening to this damn record. Um, there is a scene for this song where David Bowie has a mustache. And I think that was important for me to mention. <laughs> oh, perfect. Oh boy. Oh right. boy. I mean, he would let, he would leave his face baby clean until tin machines goatee and beard. Oh boy. I'm, I'm having flashbacks of old tin machines so far on this record. <laughs> so let's take a look to see if love you till Tuesday. Is it any better? Here's love you till Tuesday. I'll love you till Tuesday. Da 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 da. Da 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 dum, da 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 dum, da 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 dum. Who's that hiding in the apple tree, clinging to a branch? Don't be afraid, it's only me, hoping for a little romance. <laughs> oh my god! Oh right, swing and a miss. That was love you till Tuesday, and. <laughs> Swing and a no. I, I, Mark, I disagree. You say swing and a miss. I think it's at least it's entertaining enough to where it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pop bunt that got caught. But at least uh, you know something, something happened here. Uh, it opens up with those ridiculous. This was that. This was the uh, one of the only singles off this album. By the way. La da da da. It opens Just... up with the xylophone movement. Yeah, that goes into a string section. That uh, Mark is spot on. It's totally Austin Powers. Um, and the way though, and, and it's interesting. <laughs> so you got the xylophone in the string section, and that's fun. That's fun to listen to. Uh, the lyrics, you know, I, I'm listening to them uh, on my. Uh, I had to go to the Valley this week and back, and uh, yeah, that's what you want when you're driving to Merced. You want to listen to a really middling record instead of something good. And so I was listening to this, and I was zeroing in on these lyrics. And so he meets a girl on a Sunday and he falls for her. But then, you know, she only gets him to Tuesday. Eric, what exactly is he talking about here? He is poking fun at the free love movement about how it's all free love, but nobody actually has any patience for a real relationship. Um, it's that's what it's about. It's it's basically. Yeah, it's it, it, I mean, I. I I don't disagree with the sentiments there. Um, uh, the fact that nobody can really do anything real when you're part of that movement. I mean, I think that's fair. He was around a lot of it. Um, that's what it's about. Is this the song that uh, you said that Sid Barrett commented on? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got this from the pushing ahead, the uh, ahead of the name website, but uh, apparently he said, this song's very chirpy, but I don't think my toes were tapping at all. Uh, is what how Sid Barrett? Uh, oh boy, uh, uh, reviewed it. Yeah, in general, this was the one of the better reviewed songs on this on this album. Though, like I said, it was a single. Um, it made the trades at least. But. Actually, that there's more that Sid Barrett quote. He continued to say, 
Yeah, it's a joke number. Jokes are good. Everybody likes jokes. The Pink Floyd likes jokes. It's very casual. If you play it a second time, it might be even more of a joke. Jokes are good. The Pink Floyd likes jokes. I think that was a funny joke. I think people will like the bit about it being Monday when in fact it was Tuesday. Ah, yes. The philosopher of our times. Oh, Oh. Oh, man. Oh, golden nuggets. Yeah, you can. uh, Bowie Bowie, uh, performed this at his first BBC radio session. And uh, I guess he was really looking for material there because I would have probably left it off. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and you guys aren't going to believe this, but this song was actually covered in 2007. Do you know who covered this song? No, do tell. Well, it was on a, a various artists compilation. The name of the album was Kudz Olutuvatis, and it was Finnish artists. And the name of this artist that covered Love You Till Tuesday was Heirloom Dork. Oh, yes. That household <laughs> name? Absolutely. How could I forget them? <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna her- we're gonna we're gonna head on over like a couple of heirloom dorks and go to uh, there is a happy land a happy land where only children live they don't have the time to learn the ways of you sir mr grown-up There's a special place in the rhubarb fields Underneath the leaves It's a secret place And adults aren't allowed there Mr. Grown-Up Go away, sir All right, so that's There is a Happy Land, another song where Bowie wants to pretend that he's a child and singing it through a child's eyes. We had a little bit of that on Uncle Arthur, and then later on a B-side, we get that when I'm five. I don't know what's going on with uh, this whole uh, situation here, but uh, Bowie's got to grow the fuck up pretty (laughs) fast here because I am not, uh, I, I don't subscribe to this buffoonery. Uh, Eric, what, what do you think about There is a Happy Land? I think that the buffoonery that you're pointing out is, um, I think it's, you're right, Adam, but I think it, it he's not the only one guilty of it. I think um, in my research, uh, was this actually like a pretty rampant thing in psychedelic music? Um, was that was kind of the whole point of LSD was to like bring the imagination forward and return you to the mind of a child? Um, and so, you know, he wasn't alone in that. Uh, this is one of the more interesting songs on the record. So I guess when you're grasping at straws and every, you know, and there's so much more boring music on this, I guess this this makes this a highlight, I, I suppose. Um, that being said, I shall never listen to it again. Yeah, the song has a pretty sparse arrangement. It opens up with just uh, acoustic guitar strumming. And what is that, uh, Eric? What is that section there? Is that a... No clue. It looks like a, a piano, or it could be a celestia. I don't know. Just a piano, right. or some sort, some sort of key. Okay, yeah. It's not. It's not offensive, but it is boring. Um, yeah, it's. And Mark's dead on. It's a. It's about some kind of 
childhood, uh, a, a frozen childhood memory song. Um, it, it's it, it, it basically, uh, apparently the, there is a story out there called there's a happy land, which was a novel by Keith Waterhouse. And it's about a 10 year old in England's industrial North. And he uses a secret language with his friends to mask his conversations from grownups. So that, uh, that pencils out for what we've been uh, subjected to here. Interesting note is that this song was offered to Judy Collins, who turned it down, and then to Peter, Paul, and Mary, who also turned it down uh, to cover it. Nice. So even those, even those artists who, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, no strangers to kids' music, Puff the Magic Dragon, for Christ's sake, wanted nothing to do with this song. Uh, um, as far as... Uh, I also uh, want to point out in the last... Go ahead. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, go, ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, as far as uh, songs done through the children's eyes, uh, thought to bring them up again, but I think it's appropriate with this. Tom Waits, Kentucky Avenue, off the Blue Valentine album. Uh, was very similar to this, except... You know, the music's a little better and it's about like kids with switchblades and giving each other tattoos and, uh, you know, somebody in a wheelchair and it's, <laughs> it's slightly more entertaining. All right. Sorry, Mark. I was just going to say at the last 25 seconds, you get that Bowie. Like he's waiting for the bus to come. I appreciate that, but it's also... What are we doing, Bowie? What are we doing? Oh, oh, that vocalization is non is so nonsense. Why? Yes, why? Yeah, just waiting for the bus. <laughs> just dip, do, dip, yeah. dip, 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 tapping your watch. Yep. It's the uh can I, show give, can I give change for can I give change for a dollar? Can I give change? Change for a dollar. I'll have to fly in. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's a uh, no, Eric. It's 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 too late to fly back. <laughs> Damn it! Damn oh it. man, yeah. that is an. When I first saw that sketch, I thought I was going to die like one of the weasels in Roger Rabbit. It was, it was <laughs> yes. serious. It was serious. Uh, oh. Bob doing his little dance on the golf course. Oh boy, oh boy, people, do yourself a favor. Quit listening to this podcast and go look at that. Go yes, look dear, at Change for a Dollar by Mr. Show. Dear dear listeners, go to YouTube right now and just yeah, search oh, uh, Change for a Dollar, Mr. Show. <laughs> All right. So are we getting hungry, men? Because we are hungry men is the next track. Let's listen to that one. Here is the news. According to the latest world population survey, because of which danger point, my God, London 15 million 75,000, New York 80 million. Paris, 50 million and 30. China, 1,000 million. Belize and spa lots. My studies include exophagy. I formed my own society to crush the power of fecundity. The world will overpopulate unless you claim infertility. So who will buy a drink for me, your messiah? your friends we don't give a damn for what you're saying we're here to live our lives i propose all right so i don't i i do not know what to do okay so at least this song's interesting 
It sounds like it might like it could have been a theme song to some kind of variety hour or something. It's got it's got a, a, a horn section that sounds vaguely uh, Spanish. Like Ring of Fire. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> yes, it's got like a Ring of Fire horn section. It's got it's got these, you know, it, I can imagine David Bowie dressed like a matador, uh, strumming his guitar and then and then slinging it around his back and starting to sing these lyrics that are just really intense. And again, oh, like Eric said, are boy. going against the melody. Um, I do not think it's a good song, but at least it's. Doesn't he use doesn't he use some like uh, spoken word like samples of like a like a dictator shouting at people in a song? Was that, that happen at some point? Comic book Nazi rant. Or am I yes, crazy? This does have that little comic. Yes. If it did, I didn't jot it down. Yes. Yes. There you go. Yes. I prepared a document legalizing mass abortion. We will turn a blind yeah. eye to infanticide. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. I do remember that now. Yes. Uh, that was this song, huh? Yeah. Um, interesting section there. So David Bowie goes into this whole on his Space Oddity album. The Signet Committee. Doesn't it talk about the left getting too left? A little bit of that here, huh? Yes. 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 Not not the left. Not 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 the left in this song so much. But yeah, you know, you're right. It's about like a counterculture messiah that takes it too far. And um this song is is definitely about that. Just like uh I, I, not necessarily a counterculture, but just definitely like a a fascist that people are worshiping and then he's like forcing the masses to do horrible things and then uh that's i mean i i kind of enjoy it like somewhere there's a there's a trilogy of songs that he did that culminates in black star um that starts here because he's always been kind of uh he's loved that character that uh messiah fascist character um still this song's not great but it definitely is interesting yeah um, I really like the description on pushing ahead of the Dane where it says that uh, it reaches an insane peak with Bowie chanting like a Dalek over shrieking horns. Uh, we are hungry men may be one of the most embarrassing things Bowie has ever recorded, but it's a spectacular car wreck of a track. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, fair. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. 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 Oh, boy. Yeah. I'd say if you got to listen, I'll give him points for effort, though. Yeah, if you're going to listen yeah. to just five songs off this collection, that's one of them. <laughs> yes, just for how bonkers it is. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's madness. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, well, not nearly as exciting as when I live my dream. When I live my dream, I'll take you with me. Riding on a golden horse We'll live within my castle With people there to serve you Happy at the sound of your voice Maybe I'll slay a dragon for you Or banish wicked giants from the land but you will find that nothing in my dream can hurt you. We will only love each other as forever when I live my dream. 
This was one of the regular songs that Bowie would use in his mime troupe, Feathers. Um, and they they performed it regularly. He had a whole act that he did would do this song um, until he finally retired it two years after he recorded it in 1969. Um, my guess is he did it right at that festival, the, the free festival that he sings about. It was probably the last, that real festival was probably the last time he uh, graced us with this, this little song. Um, it's, uh, I mean, he's just, he's imagining a, a heartbreak and somebody who he lost and she still visited, visits him in his dreams only. So it's, that's what it's about. Um, uh, musically, though, I actually have—I've already forgotten what this damn song sounds like. That—that's—that's that's a testament to it. What? Who can? Who can tell me what this song sounds like? Um, so it's got like a lot of acoustic guitar, um, and you don't uh, say some, some string arrangements. It definitely hues a little bit closer to the sound that you get on. Um, some of the lesser known folky space oddity songs. Um, uh, you got Bowie actually trying to actually sing a little bit here. Uh, apparently the, his manager, Ken Pitt thought that this one could have been his breakthrough song. Um, and he kept like really trying to promote it, but the label was just like, eh, that's not really seeing anything here. Um, it's, it's not a bad song in terms of, the, you could see the framework of the house that he's going into eventually, but it's uh, it's still not great. It's still something that's it seems like a work in progress. And I think you're right. Um, it, it does go a little bit closer to that uh, memory of a free festival, but without all of the bombacity of that song. No, I, um, all, all uh, I meant was that he that remember. he actually all I meant was he actually performed this at the free festival. Not that it sounds anything like that epic song. Oh yeah. Absolutely, but you could see like this fitting into uh, a scene like that. Um, sure. But if you guys sure. can't remember the song, I mean, it's completely forgettable. Um, but it, on a re-list, and you can see like, okay, I could see this probably fitting in easier on Space Oddity. Um, it it goes a little closer to that, but still, like, oh boy, yeah, it's it's, it's some great, of his best. Lyrically. It is some of his best vocal work. But yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I don't know if Steve got anything I, uh, on this one. It is good now take a note that Sue Jorge did actually record it for Life Aquatic. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can okay. see that. Shit. I'll have to, yeah. I'll have to listen to that, that next time I listen. Um, I mean, it's... Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a Bowie that we're more familiar with rather than the Uncle Arthur's and the uh, rubber band, um, but it's not so much... It's not a great song by any means. It would be a forgettable track on Space Oddity or because he kind of grows out of the style pretty quickly after his first two records. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. More needs to be said on this one. So should we go to the Little Bombardier? Yeah. 
age Unskilled hands that do no trade Spent his time in the picture house The little bombardier All right. Little Bombardier. This is a back to Eric's Tom Waits comparison. This sounds like it could be something off uh, Frank's wild years. Uh, Not. Yes. I was, I have the same note. Okay. Crazy. Do you also have the same note that it's not nearly as good as anything off Frank's wild years, but (laughs) here you go. Well, (laughs) and well, I would here here here's what I would say. I would say the story is good. The story is a guy that came back from the war. Um, you know, uh, he's a grouchy old vet. Um, he befriends a couple kids, gives them candy, and then he gets ostracized as a pedophile and chased out of town. <laughs> it takes a dark turn towards the end. <laughs> I could see Tom Waits doing that song. Um, and I could also see Tom Waits doing it because it's a waltz. Yes. It's a, a waltz. You hear that dun, 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 three, four times. Dun, 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 dun. I love a good waltz. It's very hard to do in pop music. Um, everything's usually in four, four time, but I love a good waltz. And, uh, and, and for that reason, I enjoy this song more than it probably deserves. Um, the music isn't as interesting as I think the, the, the waltz sound that, that he's going for, um, and the story that he's telling. Um, but it is definitely a shot in the arm, relatively speaking compared to the rest of the album. Yeah. This, this track, the way, the way it sounds is there's that, and it's kind of like a kind of sound like an accordion type thing. And there's a string section that's which is pretty Actually, pretty pretty. It's a it's it's appealing to the ear, and David Bowie singing through it. Kind of a he actually sings along with the melody on this one. Uh, you know, I am the guy from the war. I'm in trouble now, little bombardier. Uh, it's not offensive, but I'm not going to listen to it ever again. Are you going to, Mark? Right. No, I mean this is definitely I I uh just on a re-listen, I could see how it could potentially be um executed a little bit better. Um musically it's nothing it's not bad. It's like you said inoffensive. But uh, maybe if it did get a little bit more of a darker rather than this kind of sweet uh kind of delivery in his vocal performance, um you could kind of see the shades of how um I mean, not the, not to say that the character in this is actually a pedophile, but it just lends itself to kind of, I don't know, some sadness. And this is more like how sweet this is. I mean, if you're not really paying attention to the lyrics, I, j- I just think the, the vocal delivery kind of takes me out of it. It's not a great song by any means, and I probably won't be listening to this again. Um, but it wasn't one that I was just like, oh, my God, can this song just get over? It was just like, OK, that's interesting. And I could see how Bowie likes to play with this sort of uh, sound uh, in this part of his career. Yeah. But no. Yeah. There's there's a quote from uh, this song on Pushing Head the Dame that reminded me of the other song that I know by Anthony Newley. Um, this is a quote from Mark Bolin. Who was like, uh, don't uh, Bowie was really into bombardiers then? Don't you remember the song, Little Bombardier? 
He was very Cockney then. I used to go around to his place in Bromley, and he was always playing Anthony Newley's The Candyman Can. Of course, we know that from Blue Velvet and... Uh, um, uh, and uh, who sang that? Who 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 covered Candyman? Was can? it, I thought it was uh, was it the candy oh, colored clown that they called the Sandman? Oh shit! You're right. Because I think right. that was a Roy I'm, Orbison song. Yeah, Fuck. Eric, I'm God gonna have to ask you. God damn it! The, what the fuck do I know the Candyman can from? That's it's probably that's, like uh, a Sammy Davis Jr. or something like that. You're thinking? <laughs> yeah, and he did. All Sammy right, Davis everybody. Jr. did cover it. All right, jackasses, everyone, hold on. Oh, my God. You're thinking of the Roy Orbison yeah. classic in dreams. The Sandman yeah. comes yeah. to me in the night. Yes, which is a great goddamn song. The song you're thinking of, the Candyman can, is from Willy Wonka. Ah, thank you. Thank you. You're absolutely right. It is from Willy Wonka, and Anthony Newley did the the score for Willy Wonka. I'm, I'm sorry to call I mean, names that, here, that, but that I had don't. to set you straight. Yes. Um, no, no, no. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Wait, did he he did the score to Willy Wonka? This Anthony Newley gentleman. Yes. Interesting. Yes. It yes. says a lot. That actually, my God, we kind of cracked the code here, didn't we? I mean, uh, basically, every <laughs> one of these songs is a Charlie and his grandpa's living situation. <laughs> 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 Pretty much. Oh, oh man. Oh, grandpas and grandkids sharing the same bed. All right. Next. Um, all right. Well, let's let's look at silly boy blue. Mountains of love are feeling the rain. People are walking the bottle. takes the school one boy breaks a rule silly boy blue blue silly boy blue yak butter statues that melt in the sun cannot dissolve imagine 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 if you bought this album like by the time you get to silly boy blue what are you thinking i just oh man silly boy blue uh i guess the first recorded version of this song was uh, recorded in uh, late 1965 with that lower third um, and, uh, it, it certainly tries to be a little bit more catchy and a little bit more in line with the sound of the time. Um, but it's even like, I feel a little bit of that, uh, Phil Spector, like be my baby, that type of like doom, 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 you know, kind of like beat to it. Um, but uh, yeah, it just kind of washes over me. I don't, I don't know really to say anything else about this song. I I like the backing music um, just fine. I mean, as far as this album goes, once again, my bar has fallen inches from the ground. 
So I'm just want, I'm looking for something that catches my attention. This has some horns in it. It's uh, got some epicness to it. Um, the song itself is just about somebody becoming fascinated with Tibetan culture. Um, obviously, very you know around this time, the Beatles are hanging out in India with uh, shaman and not shaman, goddamn it, not shaman, but like uh, yogis, and uh, and it's and Eastern religion is kind of taking hold of the psychedelic rock. Um, so this was definitely in line with that. Um, I don't know. It's uh, his vocals are kind of annoying in his song, though. That's what I got. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I he he. I mean, yeah, the Beatles had a fascination with everything related to Buddhism, but so you know, Bowie, Bowie in Tibet definitely became. Uh, he had his own ties there. On he blazed his own path. And this is one of those of course. earlier earlier connections of that. Um, yeah, I'm not. I got nothing to add except this is another one they offered to other artists. They offered it again to Judy Collins. They offered this also to Jefferson Airplane and Big Brother and the Holding Company, and they uh, did not take him up on this. It was covered by a guy named Billy Fury, who I've never even heard of before. I have not either. Oh. I I I have to imagine there was a meeting with Bowie and maybe his new friend Tony Visconti in one of these offices trying to sell their wares and getting kicked out. That was probably pretty funny that we'll never hear, but um I can only imagine what that sounded like. Yeah, that's uh what would that sound like? It'd be it'd be You know what? I bet we could figure this out. Let me go I'm gonna go talk to uh I was telling you guys that one of our fans he uh, he sent me a, a Dropbox. Uh, he claims he stumbled upon a treasure trove of more. Of, we know Tony. Tony was kind of a wild man and also kind of paranoid. And he recorded a lot of conversations. And he didn't want to release them while David was still alive. But he's not very good with his uh, keychain passwords. Somebody cracked his phone. And we have access to a ton of audio recordings now. Let me see if there's anything in there from the recording of this album. All right, walking down to the corner, he spies a little lass. Hey, <laughs> you must be uh, this uh, Dave, Dave, uh, Dave Bowie, right? Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, name's Tony V, uh, Tony Visconti, at your service. I am here to uh, produce one of your songs that you've been working on, When I Dream. I uh, like what I'm hearing. I'm gonna going to add my little... Uh, uh, swipe of the paintbrush, if you will. Yes, uh, Tony, I've heard of you. I, When uh, I was playing with the High Kingsmen, which was my band in between the King Bees and the Low Tops, uh, Wilson, Wilson Wilsons mentioned oh, yes. you. He said, he said you are an artist. Yes, hey, listen, I, hey, I'm just a Brooklyn boy, born and raised, hopped on a plane, headed out here to uh, the foggy city of London town, because this is where the music's happening, buddy. Psychedelic, garage rock, this is, this is the future. So well, uh, I, I had to it, hop on your project here. How's it going? I'm not quite sure. I mean, yes, London, a place I'm very fond of, and I've, I've been writing about London quite a bit. Uh, 
chimneys and paper boys and button coats and lazy, foggy Sundays in the park with the girl you love looking at her dress. These are all things that I thought would light the world on fire. But, alas, nothing. Not even a spark, not a kindle. I, Tony, I don't know. I think, I thought when I changed my name from Jones to Bowie, I thought that it was like putting on some kind of cape to become the greatest rock and roll artist London and the world might ever see. But now, well, I just don't understand. I, nobody's buying what I'm putting out. They say it's rubbish, and I feel like rubbish. I, I'm rubbish, Tony. Oh, no, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, this is, okay, I, I've, I've worked with artists before that have hit a little bit of a writer's block and, uh, you know, shake things up. I get it. Listen, it happens to the best of them. Let me just, uh, I just so happen to be brewing uh, what I call inspiration tea. It's tea with a little something extra to help you, I don't know, get inspiration from the cosmos, connect to the stars, who knows? Who knows what kind of songs could come out of that experience? Just a second. All right, here. Take a big, long sip of that and uh, let the tea do the rest. And um, what is the special ingredient in this tea? Oh, you know, so nothing that you wouldn't uh, buy from uh, some never-do-well uh, never, never do well at uh, the Glastonbury Festival or, or something like that. Um, you know, just uh, something from the earth that uh, opens your mind a little bit and helps you uh, dust off that third eye of yours. Uh, this is the stuff that chap Rick Wakeman probably drinks. Have you ever met Rick Wakeman? Oh, yes. He does. He does. He does. He taught me the, uh, uh, he taught me the recipe, actually. So um, this is definitely the Rick Wakeman special. All right, give well, it a nice long drag. Let me see here. Hold on. All right, buckle up. I maybe I'm a Wakeman now. Well, hello, and who might you be? Uh, right, it, my name is Norm the Gnome. Oh, 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 oh. oh, well, hello, Norm. Yes, I just, I, I'm leaving the grounds around here. Who might you be? I am David. I am an artist. Oh. Wow, it must be incredible to be I always wanted to be an artist, but no, my father said, Norm, you are a gnome, you will work on the rocks, you will you will work on the on the blades of grass out in the garden. That is your job. You will never be an artist. So I am jealous. Look at you. You're living your best life. No. Now, Norm, you stop that shit right now. Anyone, anyone can be an artist. They just need the inspiration. They need to be struck by the hand of the art gods and take a look at what's in the zeitgeist 
and make the two meld. Yes, yes, it's all... Gnome, I'm glad you showed up here. I, I feel that this is the kind of conversation that in this very place I need to have right now with you. Are you with oh, me, Norm? I am, in fact. Hold on a second. Excuse me, pardon me. I'm just going to crawl up your leg here, your thigh. I'm going to crawl up your back. <laughs> oh, down... oh, that tickles. Down your arm. I, I got to take a sip of whatever it is you're drinking. I love me some mushroom tea, and it smells just like uh, what Grandmama used to make. Uh. Oh! Whoa! Dave, what are you drinking? That's mushroom tea. My friend Tony gave it to me. Oh, yes, it is indeed. Oh, we're flying through space, Dave. Can you see it? Can you see the constellations, Dave? Oh, yes, they're everywhere. Oh, oh. Everything is so funny now, and but you're moving much faster than me. You are flying through very fast. I don't think I can catch you. Ah, well, you just keep writing, Dave, and I'll be an artist on Mars. That's right. You'll find me on Mars years from now. Yes, write a song about it. And I'll be there waiting for you. You'll be you'll be on Mars, and I'll hear your laughter in the future. Yes, you'll be you'll be laughing, and it'll echo back to me, and I won't be. Yes, but I can't catch you, Norm. Yes, you're you're laughing, and I cannot catch you. I can't catch the laughing gnome. <laughs> hey, Dave! Welcome back. <laughs> you look like you were having some fun there. You got a song idea? Well, first things first, Tony, where are both of our pants? Wow, that was... That was something. Jeez, you know, you think you, you they were just getting to know each other and they were already off to a, a rousing start there. My, my God. You call it chemistry, but at the, at, the, at the same time, I want to go take a bath, you know, so. Well, when somebody says something to you like, come and buy my toys, you want to take a bath. So let's listen to the song, Come and Buy My Toys. Smiling girls and rosy boys, come and buy my little toys. Monkeys made of gingerbread and sugar horses painted red. Rich men's children running past, their fathers dressed in hose. Golden hair and mud of many acres on their shoes. Gazing eyes and running wild, past the stocks and over styles. Kiss the window, merry child, but come and buy my toys. Funny enough, this reminds me that a, a lot of the songs from this era, well, not a lot, but maybe like five, were then revisited on the toy album, which we hopefully we'll revisited later. much better and fleshed out, arranged. Yeah. Well, when you actually have a bass guitar, when you have a bass guitar um, by uh, Gail Ann Dorsey, it's already going to be better. But, um, anyways, coming by my toys is ridiculous but it does sound like it could have it could be a song 
from Willy Wonka as well, as somebody standing in his toy shop, inviting people to come in and listen to his boring ass record um, and maybe buy a wind up train or something. Um, that's his song. Uh, but the music itself is uh, very simple guitar. It's just vocals and 12 string guitar. That's it. That is it. And my my notes on the song were, what is the point? Um, come, come and buy my toys. It does just, just it is uh, on an album that has some really low lows. This does not feel like he's trying to say a damn thing. This song makes Cat Stevens look like <laughs> Axl Rose. Cat <laughs> Stevens was on Durham Records at this time. Was he? He was. He was. That's great. Yeah, the uh, the guy playing the 12-string guitar on this track is named Je John Ren John Renborn, and he was later in a band called The Pentangle, whose drummer was Terry Cox, who played on the Space Out of the album. And that's all I have to say about this oh. song. Let's join the gang, shall we? Let me introduce you to the gang. Johnny plays the sitar, he's an existentialist. Once he had a name, now he plays our game. You won't feel so good now that you've joined the gang. Molly is the model in the ads. Crazy clothes and acid full of soul and crazy hip. Someone switched <sighs> Join the gang is frustrating because it starts great. This is the only song that has a drum beat from the get go that you're like, okay, wait, whoa, what? What? This is a rock. It's like this rock beat that gets you, that pulls you right in. You think for a minute you're going to have a rocking song. It doesn't rock really that much. There is some pretty good clanging honky tonk piano that happens throughout the song. Um, uh, he it's, it's, a, it's a song that's he, Bowie is skewering sixties, uh, hippies. It's, it's, um, you know, making fun of the whole concept of you got to be an individual, but you all have to do the exact same thing. It's essentially like peer pressure is as bad as what you're revolting against. And you're all pressuring each other to be the same, essentially. So he's definitely dissing, dissing, uh, sixties, sixties hip culture. Um, and then there's some crazy sitar, sitar in the song. Um, it gets very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Schizophrenic. And his vocals definitely seem forced. And it's not a pleasant listen at all. What's interesting is like, uh, it is just a kind of a mess of a song. And I think it's probably that's its intention. I do appreciate some of the honky tonk piano lines. Um, I did catch uh, the opening riff of uh, the Spencer Davis groups. Give me some lovin. Dun 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 dun. They do it for huh. just a quick second. Um, and I don't know if you caught. I that, did not. But uh, it's just buried I did in not. here. Interesting. Um, and it's it's a lot. The song is a lot. It uh, is very frenetic. And uh, it has a really cool, like you said, funky drummer intro, but then it just kind right. of goes completely different way that it's extremely frustrating, right. like you said. Um, well, here, here's the thing about what, what, what we love about Bowie is he could write this song. He could write this song at any point in his career. But the thing is, is he would do it with style. 
he would do it with style and atmosphere and he would do it and his his presentation would have swagger and it's not it's just like he's got to get these lyrics out and that's that and uh there's none of that personality in any of these songs and i think this is a perfect example of that i can see the song working like i said lyrically if you take the themes it could work on anything in any of his albums but it's just so forced it's just troubling it's just too bad it's just kind of par for the course so far and through this record that uh you can see that he has a lot of big ideas but he doesn't know necessarily how to execute them and um you know certainly i'm glad that he essentially took that big leap into trying to do something a little different than what his contemporaries were doing um you know it's been said that bowie's a sponge to his kind of surroundings but I think it this whole experiment needed a uh, a polish, a, a filter, and thankfully we got that on his later records. But this one so far has just been a mess. So Stephen is walking the dog, so I think we can go ahead and continue on to she's got medals. And she'd set up the drinks on the house. She played a good game of darts. And the men slapped her back and never took her out. She wore a trench coat khaki. Her hobnail boots were full of holes. She's got medals. She's got medals. Weirdly, the vinyl version of this, the images, 1966 to 67 vinyl that I have, List this song as she's got my medals. Weirdly, it's just a weird, a, a weird misprint. Um, or maybe, maybe that's what it was originally called. Uh, but the song is very in line with where Bowie would go later. It's a gender bending song. It's about a girl that wants to fight in the war. So she shaves her curls and she acts like a guy until things get too hairy. And then she goes back to a suburban life, um, a housewife life. Um, this song is, uh, once again, really interesting story. Bowie is showing his chops as a storyteller. Um, and uh, I like the, there's a, the music, uh, there's a bunch of big drums and organ work that goes on. And it's nothing terribly interesting, but... It's weirdly pleasant and one of the less offensive songs on the album um, and kind of interesting because of the subject matter, Bowie would revisit this uh, later on. So I, I don't hate the song. Once again, won't listen to anything on this again anytime soon, but it's a, I would say it's a highlight. Um, but he is vomiting out his lyrics. He's vomiting out his lyrics all over this thing too. Once again, no style in his delivery, unfortunately. Sometimes his delivery does remind me of uh, some of the techniques he uses. One in particular is uh, Queen Bitch. I do get a little bit of like a sense of how he could potentially use that style a little bit better later in that sure. song. Sure, he took, yeah, he took it and then added a little bit of swagger where it's like he's not going to be quite in sync with the melody, but at least he's going to sound like he's stomping on a stage and and uh and then sashaying around with it um not so much here but i can see that like that next step absolutely 
But you're right. I mean, I think that it's just about um, Bowie was certainly trying to be a vocal presence on what we're seeing here, but you're right. It just doesn't seem to match up to the melody most often. And I think that's what's most frustrating because uh, I think Bowie himself is really struggling to be a very cohesive songwriter. There's ideas here. It's just not, it's not coming together, you know? Um, that's kind of the most frustrating thing because you know what's about to come, but you know, everyone's got to start somewhere and, you know. Sure, yeah. It's just one of yeah. those things that, it is surprising like how far behind he seems from some of his contemporaries at this time. Um, and I know that he was trying to do a little thing different and put a little spin on it, but I could see why this album bombed and, and he had to recalibrate and, you know, go a completely different direction. And, and like he did on space oddity, which memory serves, we weren't over the moon on that one, but there was certainly more fleshed out ideas that um, laid the foundations for the albums that we truly know Bowie for. And this one is just hearing like, what are we doing here? Hearing this makes me really appreciate Space Oddity more. Like it does. He went from this yeah. to like maybe some similar storytelling devices and limited instrumentation, but really pushing the boundaries of like where a song will go. And yeah. um I actually really appreciate it more now. I if anything, I appreciate this album for making me appreciate that album more. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, um, let's see. This one was released in 67, then Space Oddity came out in uh, 1969. Two, two, so year, two years. Yeah. I mean, that's two years just later. like a, a huge sea change in terms of like his sound. Um, so, yeah, he definitely went back to the drawing board, it seems. And it didn't help. And it probably helped because uh, later, some of the B sides where he actually does get Tony Visconti on there, like I start to see, okay. Right. He just needed someone to kind of okay, corral him. Exactly. Exactly. Um, or like, just be like, I like what you're doing, but slow down, take yep, a breath. Yep. And add some personality to your singing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Steve is still out uh, letting those dogs out like the Baja men. So let's go ahead and go into Made of Bond Street. This girl is made of lipstick powder and paint sees the pictures of herself every magazine on every shelf this girl is made of Bond Street hailing cabs lunches with executives gleaming teeth sip aperitives this girl is a lonely girl takes the train from Paddington to Oxford Circus buys the daily news but passengers don't smile at her oh no don't smile at her this girl is made of loneliness, a broken heart. So when I listened to the Maid of Bond Street, I, I, I can't believe this song made it onto the album. It's uh, utterly, utterly incredibly forgettable. And on a forgettable record, this might be the most forgettable track, to be honest with you. I am not a fan at all. I mean, uh, it seems like to be the template that uh, Lou Reed took a look at this and was just like, hey, man, that sounds like conversations of a New York thing. <laughs> just good God. <laughs> it's fine when Lou does it, but not when. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a that is a low fucking blow. Mark Branstad. <laughs> 
It's true though. It's all this this track is a whole bunch of like, and over there someone's reading a paper, and it looks like they're on page five. And look at that, someone's bought an apple, and this is a Randy Newman song. <laughs> oh, oh God! And, and this song is hard to get through. It is a mess, and he is just forcing his vocals once again. This is exact. We're, we've been talking about for two songs now, Mark. This is. He doesn't care where the beat is, where the melody is. He's just shouting. And we love Bowie. And we are diehard Bowie fans. And this is an example of he has not found personality yet. And um, he doesn't know how to take a breath. And it's just, it's just, it's just word vomit. Um, finally, towards the end, he hits like a catchy melody hook. Um, and he ends it kind of strong, I would say. But that being said, it's, it is sh- this song should have been shaved off. Flush down the toilet and uh, and never spoken of again. I mean, the, the thing I'll give this song is this is yet another track in this album that's, uh, oh, my life of a Londoner. You know, that's the whole gist of it. And if you're reading through these lyrics, and I don't typically scrutinize lyrics as much as Eric does, but I'm looking for whatever I can get on this goddamn record. And there is a line in there that says, this girl, her world is made of flashlights and films. Her cares are scraps on the cutting room floor. I'm like, okay, well, at least this song, which is not doing it for me, an inkling of this idea gets fleshed out in arguably one of his best songs uh, is Her Life on Mars. So, okay, I'll give it that. Yeah. That's all I guess. Um, I also enjoy the fact that uh, Pushing Into the Dame says that Bowie spills out his lines as if it's a breath endurance contest. And uh, it's a chore to listen to, but thankfully it's short. doesn't feel short when I have to listen to it, but uh, yeah, it's just... On to the next one sure, is what I say. Sure. The Duran co- the collection is 74 minutes long. And my God, it, oh my it feels. God. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. My, my, my images vinyl was, it's two vinyls in that thing. And that, and I, I almost didn't finish before we started recording. It was that yeah. long. I started it this afternoon and my God. Well, let's go on to the closing track on the album proper. Um, <laughs> at least it ends on a high note. Well, I, at least it ends on a very high note called Please, Mr. Gravedigger. I mean, on this record, by the time you get to a track called Please, Mr. Gravedigger, you're saying, please, yes, Mr. Gravedigger, just kill me, bury me. So <laughs> it's an apt title. Let's hear, let's hear oh. a bit of it. There's a little churchyard just along the way. Used to be Lambeth's finest array Of tombstones, epitaphs, wreaths, flowers, all that jazz Till the war came along and someone dropped a bomb on the lot And in this little yard there's a little old man With a little shovel in his little bitty hand He seems to spend all his days puffing fags and digging graves He hates the Reverend Vicar and he lives all alone in his home Excuse me. Please, Mr. Gravedigger, don't feel ashamed as you dig little holes. So that was Please, Mr. Gravedigger, which I was hoping for like a uh, Marvelettes type of thing with like a Please, Mr. Postman kind of thing. But no, we get Bowie sneezing into the mic and uh, he's got a snotted up voice and he's essentially... 
talking about the grave digger like it was a comic book radio play um guys what what do you got for me oh it's fantastic this is a high water mark on this album it is a spoken word little number um where it just sounds like he mined the spooky sounds of Halloween records <laughs> and sampled them in the background. Yes, he's sneezing, but he's doing a vocal performance the whole time where he's essentially like he's the murderer of, of a girl watching a gravedigger bury the girl and then watching the gravedigger take the locket. And now he has killed a gravedigger. It's a uh, ridiculous. Uh, I like that the pushing head of the day make the connection. It's like an EC comics. Um, like a Tales from the Dark Side episode or a Tales from the Crypt where where uh, something dark happens, but somebody gets their comeuppance. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but I, I can't help but enjoy it. It's, uh, it's a little slice of Bowie the actor that we would come to love in, in, in decades later. Um, yeah, so that's how this album closes for whatever fucking reason. He decided to put this on this album and close it, but I'm okay with it because it's weird enough and entertaining enough. Yeah, I guess I guess hidden tracks didn't exist yet because <laughs> it definitely sounds like something that would be a, a hidden track on a CD. On a Buster Rhymes album. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'll give it this much. It it opens up with the church bells and the rain and uh that reminds me of Black Sabbath's title track Black Sabbath off the album Black Sabbath where you've got the sound of rain and you hear a church bell. And then you have that, that guitar riff that goes bow down. Great song. Reminds me of that song. And I would like everyone to know that recently at work, when I see something that surprises me on my computer or on my desk, I quote, Ozzy's first line in it very loudly and I go what is this that stands before me and uh, everyone always gets incredibly annoyed at it and I continue to do it so anyways uh, it's uh, please Mr. Gravedigger is not that great of a song I can't believe that's the uh, the ending song but on this album hell who cares any one of these tracks would be the last track and we say, why they end it with this track? So I'm actually shocked. For some reason, I thought you'd like this song, Steve, more than you do. I like I, the present. I, I, I like, feel the, like, I like the presentation of the, I like the way they set the stage, but the vocal delivery and everything yeah. just doesn't do it for me. It's just more of that. I just, I, I, I just feel like this song, this album's such a wash. At least he ended with like some weird EC comics nonsense at the end. I, I find it redeeming. The idea, <laughs> I like the, the idea of the song more than the song. I feel, I feel like left to his own devices, Steve would record something very similar to this in his, uh, in his office at home. <laughs> exactly. The clanking chains. Digging through the spooky sounds of Halloween and thunderstorms. Yeah. Thund <laughs> so anyways, guess what listeners? We're not done yet. No, that was just the David Bowie album. Now we're going to go through the various and sundry. Uh, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take this. Can we, can we just get, can we, can we, can we rapid fire? Can we rapid fire the, uh, let's rapid fire everything and then end on laughing gnome and give it its due. Can, is sure. That cool? Can we do that? I feel like nope. I've been rapid firing already. So here, I'll try to, I'll, I'll, I'll try to steer this then. 
Keep keep up. Uh, other things on the Duran anthology. Some of these we won't even have to discuss again. Rubber Band, the single version. We are not talking about Rubber Band again. It's a bit more fleshed out. There you go. The next track, The London Boys. Let's hear a bit of The London Boys. You've moved away. Don't you folks, you're gonna stay away. Bright lights, Soho, Wardour Street. You hope you make friends with the guys that you meet. Somebody shows you round. Now you've met the London boys. Things seem good again. Someone cares about you. Oh, yeah, it's got the same... um like horn crew that did the the rubber band. Um, I always like, you know, I like my big old brass. I find with it. I love the bass and organ playing off each other. Um, it's not, you know, great, but it could have, I could think of half this album. This song could have replaced on, on the Bowie album. So it's fine. Yes. It's a better uh, structured song. It actually feels like a complete song. It's still not my quite my cup of tea, but I uh, I think that it's a lot better than what we've listened to so far. Basically, about a, a a teenager that goes to London and meets strangers, and they they teach him life on the streets. That's what the song's about. I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I I am amused by the delivery of the 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 London boys. I that delivery amuses me. Uh, it also has those Muppet Christmas Carol tubas, but it's all you're going to get out of me for this one. So when you're all done with the, with your, when you're all done with the London boys, you're going to sit down and you're going to read yourself the gospel according to Tony Day. Gospel according to Tony Day. Gospel according to Tony Day The Gospel according to Tony Day If I find a girl, he'll take her away Eric, what is this song all about? No, neither do I. So I'm not sure who Tony Day is, but uh, that's apparently all that he uh, says. I do kind of like the little little kind of barb band blues thing that's going on here but it's yeah it's, it's a little sleazy riff yeah i mean i would say it's 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 different than anything else in this era it's got a distorted sleazy riff and yeah exactly it's got a kind of a kind of a low like low-key blues bar blues thing going on it's got a bassoon solo interesting uh but i mean there's nothing to write important there's yeah. nothing to write home about it though but again i actually prefer it a little because it's a little more subdued than some of the nonsense that we got on the actual album proper so at least we're getting a little something that's a little bit more hewing towards the darker sound um even though it's still goofy sounding um but i don't know maybe i'm appreciating a little bit more just in relation to what we've had to go through so far so sure sure well well mark to your point when you've been beaten by a mace for an hour and somebody switches it up to a cat of nine tails you appreciate it you know i get it i get it 
I understand. Exactly. It seems refreshing. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the out of out of out of everything we've had to listen to, it's definitely the sleaziest of the songs. Uh, well, one more thing. Uh, a gentleman named Edwin Collins covered this track. So if anybody wants to seek that out, there you go. And all of the never met a girl oh, okay. like you before. Is that who that is? Sure, sure. That's uh, who that uh, is. Yeah. Never met a girl like you before. Mm. And uh, everybody he names checks in this song because this song is a name checker. There's a the gospel according to Mark Branstad, the gospel according to Tony Day. Uh, all those people are made up. So those aren't like actual other band members or anything. Now, I wish it was the gospel according to Tony Todd. Now, that would be that would be a song. <laughs> yes. Go on. So uh, the way the, the Duram anthology is sequenced, now you're going to go through the entire David Bowie LP. And guess what, listeners? This is just like when you beat the uh, Super Nintendo version of Ghosts and Goblins. You didn't get that damn weapon you're supposed to get. You got to play Whoa. through it all again. So we're actually going to go through the entire David Bowie album That's right. all over That's again. That's right. Buckle up. Here we go. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, so we're going to jump down to after Please Mr. Gravedigger is the single version of Love You Till Tuesday. It's a little bit more fleshed out. That's all I'm going to say. You guys want to say anything else about another version of Love You Till Tuesday? Next. No. Eric, please tell me you listened to Did You Ever Have a Dream? Of course I did. I did. That all was right. on my that was on the images vinyl. Um, and it's I don't know. It's uh, the song. The lyrics are bizarre. It's about well, let's, astral let's, projection. Here, let's, let's take a take it. Take a deep breath. You're, you kind of sound like David Bowie on this album right now. <sighs> let's hear a clip. Did you ever have a dream or two where the hero is a guy named you? And the things he does are just too much. Does he fly like Mr. Superman, speak Chinese, French, and Dutch? Did you ever have a dream or two? Have you ever woken up one day with the feeling... So this goddamn song is ridiculous. On, a, on an album of ridiculous songs, I'll at least say that this is up there in, like, the most ridiculous. And it's such nonsense that... I, I like this song because it sounds like when Homer sings the Spanish flea in that one episode of The Simpsons. What is that, a skiffle? What are, what are we playing here? That's right. Yeah, a skiffle or... Uh, that's right. Somebody's playing the s- spoons back there. It's, it's just a... It's just a it sounds like game show music. It's absolutely preposterous. <laughs> it's Austin Powers doing his little, like, like uh, little dance party thing. Yeah. And uh, Bowie is shredding on the ukulele on this on the song. So if you like ukulele, it's all over this track. It is about astral projection. You know, you can walk around New York while you sleep in Prague or whatever, wherever. Well, I forget what he says. But yeah, it's it's um, it's a ridiculous subject matter and it's a ridiculous song. So I guess why not have fun with it? Right, Steve? Yeah. Uh, if you're going to listen to just a handful of tracks off this mess, this is one of them I'd listen to just, it's a crack up. The next track has a little bit more of a historical significance. I think it's the first time, if not one of the first times Tony Visconti comes around and that's karma man. Slow down. 
So Karma Man, I can kind of hear some of the the future space oddity coming through. What do you guys think? Oh yeah. Yeah, this one and Let Me Sleep Beside You were kind of my two highlights because uh, I think they had uh, Tony V's uh, little guidance on here. But this is a catchy song. All things considered, it's a catchy one. Right. And uh, I mean, the song was definitely more of a four-way, foray into Eastern religion. Bowie was into, but a lot of psychedelic rock was into. Um, Tony V. Tony V flew in 22 years old from Brooklyn. Um Flew into London looking for work, looking for, to be a studio musician, and that's how he got. Um, eventually, just just luck of the draw, got got teamed up with Bowie. Funny enough, his wife Tony V and his wife were known to drop acid weekly. Um, they they were big LSD fans, and uh, uh, perhaps that played a part in this song, perhaps not. But uh, I just like that that I like that little aspect. Um. Yeah, the song the song's fine. It's a it's a, it's a good little intro to uh, the layered music they would do later. I'll give it this much on an album full of un unmemorable uh, music. The chorus in this track I really do like the the slow down slow down section. Uh, yeah, that actually that actually might get stuck in your head, and not much of this record gets stuck in your head. So the chorus on Karma Man is pretty fun. And uh, it also is another track that they recorded for Toy. Apparently, the live recording is found on Bowie at the Beeb. Apparently, that version is a little superior to the one that we hear here. Um, we're not going to cover Bowie at the Beeb because that would be madness. Um, but uh, apparently, check that Lies. out. Lies. I would probably will. It's on. It's on. <laughs> it's on the dice somewhere. I'm telling it you, it is on the dice somewhere. Okay. Mark, if we can get through this, we can get through that. That's true. All right. Uh, so. Yes, I think we're all in uh, agreement that this one is a, uh, a welcome refreshment to what we have just been through. So what's next? Let me sleep beside you. I will show you game where the wind never wins. Let your head down where the dress your mother wore. Let me sleep beside you. And if I were to rewind and talk about Karma Man again, I would say, oh, that was the second song they did. Let Me Sleep Beside You was the first song they recorded together. Right. Hey, guys, do you know the guitarist, John McLaughlin? Not personally. Oh, no, no, no. I We're not like invited to his birthday or anything, but um, he, he played guitar with uh, specifically Miles Davis. Uh, in the crazy like bitches brew sessions, like really the psychedelic jazz stuff. He's a jazz guitarist. He plays guitar on the song, believe it or not. So that that uh, that riff, that distorted guitar riff, which should stand out based on the non-existent riffs on this album in general in this era. That's that's John McLaughlin. So cool. Okay, that's fun. That's actually yeah. This song. Again, like Karma Man, I think I like Karma Man better, but this song is pretty, uh, it's got meat on the bones. 
That that was pretty good there. Um, It's kind of a rock song, which many of these songs are not. And we can't hold that against them because David Bowie dabbled in many genres, but at least, at least a a basic rock song. It's harder to mess up than a, a basic skiffle track about the London living that we've been dealt with this night. Um, Hey, here's an interesting fact there, Eric. Tony V and David Bowie, when they got together to record these two tracks, they went and saw a movie together. Do you know what it was? Knife in the Water. That's it. And uh, the reason that has significance is that Eric and I used to be into a band called Knife in the Water. Wasn't that their name? Yeah, they were a great band. Yeah, yeah. I I would recommend any any album by them. Yeah. Dark Americana music, I guess is right. what you would call them. Exactly, exactly. They, 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 yeah, they did the Americana thing, but there was, uh, yeah, it was droney and noisy and dark. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed them quite a bit. Never seen that movie. I know it's by Polanski, um, but, uh, yep, yep, you got it. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that the neighbor of Rick Dalton? That is the neighbor of Rick Dalton. <laughs> you got it. Yep, yeah, you're Rick fucking Dalton. <laughs> Don't fuck with your neighbor. Uh, uh, don't fuck with Rick, Rick Dalton's neighbor, especially when he's mixing, mixing margaritas. Uh, I love that scene when he's just accosting them in the car, in the cul-de-sac, and he's got the... the, the yeah, he the calls the car a mechanical mar- asshole. <laughs> oh, mechanical asshole. Oh, that movie was something uh, special, folks. Listen, I, that was fantastic. Uh, so good. Yeah. Yep. So good. All right. You know what's not that fantastic is the, the heat of the morning. Let's hear a clip. The blazing sunset in your eyes will send so lies every man who looks your way. I watch them sink before your gaze. And you reach this way. Dance with me before the frozen eye. I'm so much in love, like a little soldier catching butterflies. No man love like I this is the end this is the end of the durham era this is the last thing this is the first track fully produced by tony visconti um this actually has the xylophone being played by steve peregrine took who uh actually hold on hold on buddy two things two things Hold on, hold on. Let me, uh, yeah, for one, I'm we've talked about Peregrine, we've talked about before. He named himself after the goddamn Lord of the Rings. Good for him. Two, yes, did we just triple revise history here? So the first track they actually did was in, in the heat of the morning, it wasn't Karma Man or Let Me Sleep Beside You. No, this is the final one they did. Together. Okay, this is not gotcha. the first. This is the final. This is the final song. Yeah, this is this is T Rex's uh, Steve Peregrine took who played xylophone on it. Um, I, uh, or, uh, yeah, I, it, the xylophone is copying the guitar lick. I mean, it's fine. It's a fine closer. Uh, I'd say this, this, this song has weight to it. It has layers to it in the music that is different than the rest of the album. You can tell that somebody knows what they're doing is behind the boards. Mr. Visconti, um, lyrically, I mean, in general, the melody and the lyrics don't, stick with me but i like where they're going so 
It was just kind of kind of. The fun. only thing I will mention about this song um, is that it, this was the end of the line for David Bowie and Darum. Uh, it was supposed to be the centerpiece of the second Darum LP that Bowie was trying to produce with uh, Visconti. They just basically said, fuck off. They just wanted to get rid of him. And then Bowie left the label in uh, 1968 and uh, didn't record uh, or didn't release his next thing, which was Space Oddity. And uh, I can't remember what label that was off of. I think it was off of EMI. Um, but uh, there you go. This was basically Bowie's boot out the door from Darum. All right. We're going to talk about two more songs. The next track we're going to talk about is Chingaling. While walking on Red Rooster's lawn, a char-faced man I spied. He blew into his temperature and stuttered as he sighed. I wish I played the doodah horn, the doodah horn is fine. I'd sell my house and burn the coach to make this daydream mine. It sounds like a, a commercial for dishwashing detergent, but other than that, it's not a favorite. <laughs> yeah, actually, Tony Visconti was involved in this one too. To me, it's yeah, dishwasher detergent or uh, like some kind of ass backwards version of uh, the Smokey and the Bandit theme. I don't know. It's a it's a <laughs> yeah, it does. It's a weird. It's it's the way the guitar kind of slides around. It sounds like it could be you know eastbound and down. Uh, which does not sound like detergent music, but they cross over there somewhere. Uh, not a very good track. It's <laughs> if you're going to put the songs on this collection in buckets, you've got the really basic folk songs, or not even folk songs, just the basic vocals and acoustic guitar songs. You've then got the "I'm a Londoner," oh, walking by the gasworks tracks that's the other bucket yeah and then the yeah. third bucket is weird austin powers string sectioned upbeat go-go songs those songs are my favorite i think if i had to pick one style yeah. and this is one of those songs it's just it's goofballs it's bonkers it does remind me of uh mark and i when we were young we used to before we could do anything fun, we would go hang out at Mel's Diner all night long and just drink coffee and talk about the meaning of life. That's and true. Somebody oh. would always put on that goddamn song by Chuck Berry, My Dingaling. So, yes, yes, I do remember <laughs> that. My God. Yeah. The title Chingaling oh. makes me yeah. think of My Dingaling. Oh. That right. song was so just then you've like, got, oh, God. My God. That oh. was his only, uh, of course, Chuck Berry was Chuck oh. Berry, but that was like his only like massive charting hit. Um, yeah. Which is baffling considering roll over Beethoven. Um, or, uh, or Johnny, Johnny B. Good. B. Good. Um, so anyhow, thought, here's, yeah. Also, you've got a remix of Sell Me a Coat. I'm not going to talk about that. You've got another version of When I Live My Dream. We're not going to discuss that. You've got a proto version of Space Oddity, which we already covered. On our Space Oddity episode. Not going to talk about that. But to round mm -hmm. all this off, a song that I actually think we could have done a B-side for. We will close these discussions with The Laughing Gnome. 
No. This is a fantastic piece of music. Uh, Eric, you already discussed how you first heard of it. I, I introduced you to it. Yes, you did. Uh, Mark, Mark, how did you first hear the Laughing Gnome? It was probably you. Um, it, it, you know, I think you picked this one up. You showed me, and I was like, "Well, I never need to listen to that again." Because <laughs> Bowie essentially playing the. Uh, uh, the, the dad on the Alvin and the Chipmunks version is not something I'm going to really go back to very often. Um, it's just the song is bonkers. Alvin! Is yeah, Dave. Dave. Oh. <laughs> Dave. So good. Yeah. Joke, so, good. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, you Actually, I think just, Steve yeah. Steve did a one-two punch with this and Leonard Nimoy's Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. I feel like you should be both in the same <laughs> night. And it was great. It was great. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a funny song. I mean, it's meant to be a novelty song. There's no way the song could be taken seriously. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I give it, it two squeaks cause it's that good. <laughs> I, but I honestly, like, I feel that this, he could have had a separate career as just doing children's music. And this could have been a full on, uh, cartoon with a franchise but it just didn't land um tell me steve sounds like you're a big fan of this song oh i am and uh i i think out of all the songs we've talked about tonight at least i think musically it's the uh i don't think it's the most accomplished but it's the catchiest and yeah obviously it's so stupid that it's good it crosses over from uh, so bad it's getting to bad is good territory and yeah it's clearly a novelty song. It's supposed to be zany. A lot of these tracks tonight are trying to be serious and they fall flat in their face. At least at this, you know, if you're making fun of yourself, nobody else can make fun of you. And I think he knows that he's, his song's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I first, uh, I actually think the person that might have introduced us to this is, uh, our buddy Seth from high school, Mark. Because it might have uh, been, yeah, yeah. This definitely seems like some wackadoodle track that that we we uh, would have listened to on uh, Todd and Chuck. Um, yeah, but <clears throat> anyway, you slice it. I have fond memories just of being younger and listening to it because I couldn't believe this is one of the ones where the first time I heard it was like an MP3 of it I got off LimeWire, and I just couldn't believe how ridiculous this one David Bowie song was, not knowing the whole history of his career i was like oh my god this this guy that's this lauded artist made this ridiculous track you know i just thought it was funny but you know it's just the 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 songs about david bowie's walking down the high street i was walking down the high street and he hears a gnome behind him 
and he takes takes the gnome to his house, and this is like a David the gnome type gnome, and they just sit around his house telling jokes and 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 laughing around. He gives the gnome uh, mushroom tea, and then the As gnome comes does. back the next. Yes, and the gnome comes back the next day with his brother David, and they sit around and they laugh. Oh. And the chorus is, the chorus is a ha ha ha, a he he he. <laughs> I'm the laughing gnome, and you can't catch me. That's it. Oh, it's so it's so hooky. It's so hooky. Um, uh, it's uh, it's 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 incredibly goofy. Um, I think it's always yeah, it's always been a lot a laugh a lark. Uh, in the late '80s, David Bowie did a tour. I think it was called the Sound and Vision tour, and they actually let fans vote to help put the set list together. An enemy magazine tried to goose the vote and and like told people you need to call in and vote for the laughing gnome. And uh, David Bowie thought that was entertaining, but he did it didn't uh, it did it didn't take at the at the risk of fully plagiarizing, pushing ahead the dame. The write up for this song is so good, I cannot I cannot leave it out. He gives a point-by-point reason why this song is fantastic and deserves its credit as a top-notch Bowie song. Point number one, it rocks. The uh, the riff, um, he's doing basically uh, Waiting for the Man by Velvet Underground. Like, it is a rockin' riff that happens throughout the song. Uh, point number two, the puns are fantastic. Uh, ha- oh, haven't you? So even yeah, yeah the puns yeah. are great. Haven't you got an there's, there's a couple to go to? <laughs> no, we're yes. No there's mats. also when, <laughs> and when he shows up with his brother later, they start singing a song for him, and he says, "What's that sound?" And they say, "It's a metronome." <laughs> and oh yeah, one of the puns that was left off there was there's 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 a lot of uh, extra takes of this song, and one of the puns that was left off says, "How are you gonna get home?" I'll use a gnoming pigeon. <laughs> There's the, uh, shouldn't you get your hair cut for school? You look like a rolling gnome. No, not at the London School of Economics. <laughs> uh, three, there's a, there's a dark interpretation about this song that the gnome does not exist. It's actually a schizophrenic personality. Somebody's having a psychotic break. That's what this song is really about. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the uh, nomadic uh, syn- uh, synchronicity, it's just basically just tying uh, gnome, uh, how gnomes have always been a part of British uh, folklore and just tying that into it. Um, the bassoon is a lead instrument. That's important. Um, and it's a testament to a lost friendship. The gnome is actually Gus Dudgeon who became a one-time producer on the next Bowie EP. So, oh, the last one is great. This song saved Bowie from a life of cabaret. Apparently he, he uh, auditioned for a cabaret and he played this song and he had a gnome puppet and he got, he got kicked out. He, he got absolutely denied to be a part of the cabaret and this saved him from that career choice. So <laughs> I would, I would love to see footage of that. <laughs> hey, did you actually, there, there's a, there's no footage of it, but do you know what they actually named the gnome puppet? Oh, what's that? Nomi Visconti. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. I feel like Nomi Visconti uh, attended some of those meetings that we listened to earlier. 
with uh with with Bowie and Tony. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh my god, this was a chore. Mother so uh now oh so what uh what what are we gonna give this record? Um what did we give Tin Machine? I gave Tin Machine a point five on both as of them. As did I. As did I. Yeah. And I would give this the same. So you got point five. Steve, what do you got? I'm giving it a one bolt only because some forgiveness for it being his first work. Okay. Actually, Same boat. One. I give it that's a, a one. Point. I give it a one. Uh, it's it's you see a work in progress here. There are some good ideas, but that's just the execution just doesn't happen. Um, so for that, I give it a one. One out of five. You know what? I will change mine to a one if only for the Laughing Gnome has earned its its has earned its place as a one album. Hey, Lennox, did you listen to that David Bowie album of the Durham years? Yes. What do you think about it? Well, I've kind of listened to it. Uh-huh. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but um, I would rank it one out of five bolts. Okay. Do you like any of the songs on it? No. Uh, okay. Uh, if you had to listen to one of the songs or I'd take away your treat for a year, what would it be? Hmm. Laughing gnome. <laughs> laughing gnome. I'm sorry I put you in that position, Lennox. He's uncomfortable now. Yeah. There you um, go. Yes. Before we uh, call it a wrap All on right. this one, I just want to mention, just in the, for the completists out there, we did talk about two other B-sides, and I'm just going to say they're not worth really checking out. One was London by Tata and When I'm Five. Uh, go ahead and look those up, but not a fan of either one of them. I'm sure that the other boys would probably agree with me. So I think we should get into what we're going to do next. Eric, do you have the dice ready? Six, 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 six. Six. Lodger. I am a DJ. I am what I play. Oh, what? There you go. All right. Fantastic. All right, right back into the Berlin All Trilogy. Right. How's that? So what we did oh, that's great. for those Thank that, uh, yes, no album number six is actually Aladdin Sane, but we went ahead and renumbered the diamond dice of how many records that we have left. So the sixth album that we have left of what we have left would be Lodger. Does that make sense to everybody in the room? That's that's that. Yeah, that's, that's that. Yes. When we, when we discuss the record, we'll make sure to mention that it's actually his, 12th album or whatever the 13th happened. so there you go so uh, yeah yes. we still don't you know for 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 good radio which we're really good at we didn't want eric banging that damn thing off 25 times <laughs> oh, i already listened to that oh, i already roll. listened to that roll so. damn it roll damn it roll damn it yeah all right Lodger, guys. that's fun that's uh cool. that's good i am uh, looking forward to digging into that one that's um it, it actually i like doing low lodger and heroes last for reasons we'll discuss later. All right, guys. Holy hell, that was uh, really a, a uh, that was a chore. But I would have not wanted to do it with anybody other than you two. It 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 worked out. Yes. All right. So, boys, thanks again for joining us, all you listeners out there, for enduring this album with us. But we're gonna get to some good stuff uh our next episode or maybe even we'll have a b-side in there but uh we're gonna talk about lodger so as always this has been mark eric london boys 
and Steve, I'm guessing. London boys. We're the Manish boys. And uh, <laughs> thank you, guys. We hope we brought you closer to pod. Pip, pip. That's not nice. Got to go far, far. London by Tata. Take me away. G, 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 take me today.